Okay, I'll be uh, reading our scriptures for today. The first one is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, 13 through 16. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord. As as holy, always being prepared to make defense to uh, anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Our second reading will be from uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is now, is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Thank you, John, for reading for us. If, and I hope, uh, keep both of those passages, if you're able, keep both those passages open. If you ever were to be asked by someone why you live your life differently than they do, why you think differently, why you act differently, why you handle a cancer diagnosis differently, why you are a person of honesty in a world that is often filled with people that are deceitful or misleading, why you choose to sacrifice, why you choose to serve, why it seems different for you, why you don't party when everybody else seems to be all about it, why you have a certain view of what sexual integrity is, and that's a man and a woman inside the covenant of marriage is the expression for sex, why you have patience with people that other people lose patience for quickly, why why you don't gossip when everybody around you, all all the co-workers seem to do it. If someone were to ask you, why do you live differently? Why do you live like that? Does Jesus have any expectation of you of how you should answer that? How you should respond? Is it enough in those instances where people have noticed a difference in your life Is it enough to reply, well, you know, I just always try to be the best version of myself and kind of let it go at that? Is that okay? Or would Jesus want you to say more? If you're in a scenario where someone says, I I think all religions, including Christianity, I think they all just teach the same things. 
I don't think there's really much different at all. What would Jesus want your response to be? Do you just shrug and maybe politely nod? Do you get into a debate? As a follower of Jesus, how should that go down? How would he want that to go down? If someone in your presence is like harshly critical of Christianity or Christians, does that ring the bell like immediately you should rush to the defense of Christianity or your fellow Christians? Is this an opportunity to clarify a, or, or maybe just politely defend the gospel? Or do you just keep your head down, hoping for the conversation to change? What would Jesus want there? Is the goal of each conversation that you and I have, is it to make an immediate convert to Christianity? Is it, what is the goal in dealing with loudmouths? Is it just to shut them down? Win the argument? Or should we just mind our own business? And, And even in the midst of all that, are there other things that we should try to remember as we live out our faith? Well, all the questions that I just asked, we will undoubtedly fall well short of answering them in just all these crystal clear ways. As a matter of fact, as we look at God's word, it may prompt more questions than even I ask. It may prompt those for you. But I think that I know this is an important subject for us. I believe we can find some real help in these passages that John just read for us a moment ago. We're looking at a couple different places in the Bible, and our focus in the whole month of September has been this theme, we must go. It's a little bit ironic because we've all come here, but but I've wanted to remind us it's not enough for us just to come here. I'm glad for our gathering. I believe in this. This is life-giving to me. I look forward to it. It's a priority of mine. I love it, and yet, yet we must go. We leave here. And churches have been given the mission from Jesus Christ. We know that God will raise up missionaries and evangelists and people who will start churches and people who will give their lives so that other people hear, maybe even for the first time of Jesus, maybe for the first time see what a life of a Christian really looks like. People will give their lives so that there are good churches in areas that will help future disciples of Jesus. But, but what I hope you have come to understand is while there will be missionaries and will be evangelists, there is so much more to it than just that when it comes to advancing the mission of Jesus Christ. There are verses that give insight into how every single Christian, every single person that follows Jesus is meant to play a role in the advance of spreading this good news. God calls on the follower of Jesus. One of the ways we... we advance it is God calls on us to pray. And so we talked about that a few weeks ago. When we see a world harassed and helpless, Jesus says, this is what you do when you look out and you see that kind of world. You pray that God would send people to help that, to to actually reap a harvest there when, when there are people that need help desperately. And God calls us to good works, and these good works, they're not the gospel, but when our lives are filled with sacrificial service, when our lives are filled with consistent integrity, then that has a way of adorning this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And every Christian is meant to live our lives in ways that adorn the gospel of Jesus, like Titus 2 told us. Even last week, we talked about 
God has given each Christian, and I, I understand it's different proportions, but God has given each Christian this call to partner. It's a gift of partnership that we invest in seeing God's work go forward. The gospel could and would be spread. So today we're looking at another way that I believe God is calling on every single Christian to advance the gospel, and that is in this way, that we're ready to respond. I want to put this, I want to put this in the category of this is what Jesus expects from us. And yet when I say this is what Jesus expects from you, you could have that like Jesus' demeanor and disposition in this is like one of a scowl going, you're going to blow this, you're not going to do this right, but I'm telling you, you better do it anyway. So you can have in your mind when I say Jesus expects us to do that, you can have in your mind that that's his disposition. He's rolling his eyes knowing you're going to mess this up uh, every which way. Or I'd rather actually you have in your mind an image of a parent, a parent who is like, who just knows, who just knows that her daughter can walk. Her son can take those first few steps and is just encouraging them like, you, you can do this, you can do this. Or when the kid is riding the bike for the first time or when the kid is doing something hard, it's like the parent is just wanting to instill confidence saying, you can do this, you can do this. I promise you, you can do this. As, as you hear what Jesus expects from you, I hope you know there's no scowl on his face as he's telling you what he expects. He has confidence in us. He's entrusted us with this mission. So what does Jesus expect us? Jesus expects us, first of all, to be ready to speak. To be ready to speak. How do I know that? Well, that's what these passages say. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us to always be prepared. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you to be ready for this, to be prepared for this. So Jesus expects us to be ready to speak. Colossians says much the same thing. So Peter says this in 1 Peter, Colossians, uh, Paul is writing this to the church at Colossae, and he says, I want you to know how you ought to answer each question, each person. So the baseline expectation is we are going to be in a world of unbelievers, and we're not going to live in convents and monasteries. We're not going to be sequestered like from everybody else, but we are going to be in this world. And Jesus says, I'm putting you in the world. You're not going to be of the world. I'm sending you as lights, and you're going to be light in a very dark place. This is the expectation. It doesn't have to disturb us. We will have friends that are Christians, sure, but we will also be surrounded by friends and acquaintances, coworkers, neighbors, even family who aren't Christians. And Jesus says, I want you to be alert. I want you to be ready. I want you to be prepared. What those verses don't tell us, they don't tell us that every single time you have the opportunity to open your mouth, I want you to open it wide and control the conversation every single time. That's not what those verses say. It doesn't even tell us that every single time there will be an opportunity to speak. No, what this verse is telling us, it's pointing both in Peter and Colossians, it's pointing us to say, are are you ready? Do you know how to speak for Jesus Christ? Are you prepared to make the defense? Because sometimes, sometimes it will be go time. 
it will be time for you to open your mouth and own your faith. When we put Paul's words together with Peter, there's like, there's this range of response because there's a range of context in which we might share our faith. So there may be like significant opposition, uncalled for attacks on us to which we've got to answer. Well, I think you've misunderstood something. Or it may just be like mild pushback, some flack you get for being a Christian. Or it may be some honest questions, some genuine questions about like, why, why, why do you live that way? Or, or it may be that you have just a random comment that is made in, in your presence. Will you be ready to speak? Have we thought about what we might say? There's like this range. And so Colossians, the word is like that you'd be able to know how to answer. And the word answer is not, not in, in the original. It's not just like answer a question. It's just to reply or to comment. So, so are you ready for replies and comments? You have opportunities to address something. Your personality and your decisions will open doors. This is the way it's going to happen. Your connections and your friendships and your network and your abilities are going to put you in places that God intends to use for you to make some sort of answer, to make some sort of comment. Sometimes a question will be asked. Sometimes a comment will be made. Are we, are we ready to speak? Or have we thought about what our reply might be? So well, in Colossians, the word is like, you've got to know how to answer. You've got to know how to make this reply or comment. In First Peter, it's, it's like more of a hostile setting, isn't it? Peter assumes that you're going to be in a tough spot. As a matter of fact, as I was reading these verses, it, it's like 1 Peter 3, verse 13, it says you might be in a place where you're harmed because you're eager to do good. Or verse 14, you might suffer for righteousness' sake. Or verse 16, you, you might be reviled and slandered for your good behavior. That, that's a hostile setting. And Peter reminds us that Christians may experience accusations and criticism simply because you're a Christian. So you might hear occasionally, you might hear like, you think you're better than us because you don't do whatever. And you've never said that. You've never implied that. You've never thought you're better than anyone, but you're still accused of it. Or, oh, you think yours is the only way to heaven? That seems rather arrogant to me. Or, you aren't really, as a Christian, I, I've never seen one Christian help society. I've never, I, I don't even think you can be a, a good citizen and be a Christian. Or you don't worship the way we do. What, what do Christians do in that scenario? Well, Peter says, this is what you do. You give a reason for the hope that is in you. You give a reason for what is driving you, what drives your faith, what causes you to live this way. You're ready to give an answer. You're ready to respond. You're ready to make a defense. There's so many books. I don't know that we've ever lived in a better time to do this, of making, making a defense. There's so many books that are on, like the subject would be apologetics and defending our faith. So in the, the last, I don't know, several months, I've read John Dixon wrote A Doubter's Guide to the Bible. It's so, so helpful in like, how do you, how do you defend your faith? And uh, Randy Newman has a whole ministry called Connection Points and has a, a book, Questioning Evangelism, and it's so, so helpful in being ready to respond. And I was looking even at our back table, so our book table has a book called Honest Evangelism, How to Talk About Jesus Even When It's Tough, and deals with some of the scenarios in which you get some pushback and you have to answer some questions. But I, I tend to think sometimes we, 
We feel like, well, I don't know that I'm going to know every answer. I don't know that I'm going to anticipate every scenario. What if someone asks this question or that question? And what if I haven't, like, I'm not prepared to answer that? I actually think some of this is more simple than you may realize. Because I think sometimes we tend to overthink because it's in the nature of our faith and religion. We tend to overthink, like, what am I going to be required of to do here? But frankly, if someone asks you a question like this person, maybe a a spouse, a friend, why do they mean so much to you? My guess is you would have, you'd be ready with an answer. It may take you a little bit to, to like pull all those thoughts into something immediately helpful. But if someone were to take a defining experience in your life and say, why is that experience so meaningful to you? My guess is, give you a little bit of time and you're going to be able to go, I'll tell you why it was so meaningful to me. It's because of this, this, and this. Or if we were to say, how has this family member or this friend shaped your life? My guess is you're going to have an answer to that. Or if we were to say, what factors brought you to this point in your life? You would be able to go, well, let me think about it. It was this and this and this. Or if I were to ask you, like, what is it that you love about something? Or I was to ask you, like, why do you give time and money and volunteer hours to this cause? You say, I'll tell you why. It's because... Now, now think about all that and let's import that back into what Peter has told us to do, what Paul's told us to do. Be ready to give an answer. And you say, well, Curtis, I, I tried to get into a discussion one time and it didn't go so well and I realized I was not ready. I say, you know what? I remember, like, I remember taking tests in which I sat down and looked at the test and like page one of the test, you go, oh no. I'm not ready for this. Only turn over to page two and go, I'm not ready. (laughs) Like, I hope the curve is good. Please no one spoil this because this is not going to be pretty here. I've had presentations and yes, I've had sermons where I've come up and like realized I didn't prepare like I thought. I I thought I was prepared. Then you get in the middle of it and you feel like, how am I going to get out of this? Like, let's just end this. And you know what I do in those moments? You know what you probably do when you have a test or a presentation or something? You say, I'll never do that again. I'll be ready next time. I'll be ready. I'll be prepared. I'll do what I need to do because I'm not, I'm not going to have that experience, that feeling ever again. Yeah, you might have gone out and like tried to be ready and you got asked a question you weren't ready to answer. And so I think, well, my goodness, that's why we have the body of Christ. That's why you have other believers in your life, other brothers and sisters who maybe know more of the Bible, maybe have answered more of those questions than you have. That's why you would go to them and go, hey, could you help me? Because like I gave an answer and it seemed like lame and not helpful and didn't clarify and seemed like I made a mess of the whole interaction. I wanted to to, witness for Christ and I didn't do it well. And you ask the Lord, "Give, give me grace here. We are to be prepared. There will be times where we're called on to speak. So Jesus says, be ready, but Jesus also has another expectation, and that, has, that expectation is that not only are we ready to speak for him, but also that we are loyal to him. Jesus expects us, even in those encounters when someone has asked us for a reason for the hope that we have, 
that in those encounters we would be loyal to him. And I use the word loyalty because this isn't just about dutiful obedience to someone who has the power to boss me around. It's, it's not that. He certainly has the power to boss me around, but this is more than that. This is more than just some initiation right to get into, uh, to, to pledge into a sorority or fraternity that he's going to make you do this thing just so you get in this club. This is not that. This is all about allegiance to a person. This means how I live and the answers I give to questions about how I live center on more than, well, this is just a good cause that I'm, I'm a part of. This is personal to us because it's about him. And that text from 1 Peter puts it this way, like, don't, don't be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. It, it's interesting. It starts with honoring. It's an inner heart attitude that's preceding the response. When you're honoring Christ as the Lord, you're saying, you know who the real Lord is here? You know who the real person in my life? In the time of uh, Peter, when he was writing this, the answer to the question is of who is Lord would have been in common society, Caesar is Lord. And Peter just had a radically different answer to that question. It's not Caesar. And Christians are going to regard Jesus Christ as our Lord. And because of that, we're going to be ready to speak. Maybe we haven't looked at it through that lens. Maybe we haven't seen it from a loyalty perspective. Maybe we've failed to see that a courage to respond or to speak up may indicate a lack of allegiance to Jesus Christ. Maybe we've tried to brush it off and say, well, you know, I get nervous when I'm put on the spot. That's why I didn't say anything. I don't want to impose my thoughts on someone else. I'm just not really sure what I might say. I don't want to ruin a good opportunity for later, so I'm just going to be quiet right now. I just want to suggest that all that may be a smokescreen. It may indicate more about us. That we're just not as devoted to him as we should be. Because the fact is, there are products and brands if someone were to question the merit of those or the quality of those or whether they're better than this, we would, we would speak up and we go, no, 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 no. No, no, this is much, much better. Or there are teams that we would go to the mat to defend a sports team and go, I'll tell you what, no talk about it. And there's certainly family members where we go, I will listen to a lot of things, but I will not listen to you talk about this person I love like that. You will not do it. I will not listen to it. There are things that will trigger that sort of response, aren't there? What if our faith was that personal to us? What if it, it just came alive to us in a moment that Jesus Christ himself, what if I really grasped that he saw me and set his love on me before the foundations of the world? What if I saw that it was him directing even when I was a a child barely able to put a sentence together, directing the course of events so that I would hear, for God loved the world in this way, that he sent his only son. What if I really believed that? That wasn't just random. That was Jesus making that happen. What if I came came to really be gripped by the fact that he sacrificed his life willingly, and Hebrews would tell us 
even joyfully for us while we were sinners? What if I really saw Jesus as the one when I was drowning in my sin and really had no hope of saving myself or finding some sort of life raft, that Jesus dove in and rescued and pulled me out? What if it really became clear to me that he redeemed me from slavery, that I was on the, the, the auction block of sin, that I was a slave and Christ redeemed me, but it cost him his life to do that? What if I really grasped that Jesus isn't some sort of imaginary friend somewhere, but he is the one changing me from the inside, making, into, making me into what I was always meant to be? What if, I, what if I really understood that he has promised never to leave me and promised to return one day for me? What if it was so personal that I realized he is just as patient with me as he was with Peter who denied him three times? What if it was so clear to me that he has prepared all of eternity to be with me and for me to be with him, that he would be my God and my Lord and my Savior. What if it was that clear and that personal? Well, then, well, surely I'd be ready to speak. I think if you're not yet a Christian, it's really, really helpful to realize that Christianity can be misunderstood, and it wouldn't be your fault of misunderstanding. It would be our fault as Christians. Because sometimes we portray Christianity as a list of do's and don'ts. And sometimes we portray Christianity like following Christ all about like attendance at a place on Sunday and, and trying to do a little bit better and trying to be a little bit better person. But deep down, Christianity is all about Jesus, who is God in flesh, who's the ruler of the world and has been for eternity. And the one, although he's the ruler of the world, cares deeply about all the people in northern Delaware. Cares about you specifically. And came to live the life that you should have lived, that I should have lived, but, but we didn't and we won't. And came to pay for our sins against a holy God. Dying in our place risen from the dead, reigning in heaven, our allegiances to him. And when we grasp that, when we grasp that, of course we will speak up. How could we help but not speak up? Do we need to be loyal to him? Jesus calls on us in one other area. Yes, to be loyal to him, but I'd also add, Jesus expects us to be like him. To be like him. We could refer to that as like, Christ likeness, but I want to talk about a specific area of being like him. And, and I, I, I think we see it, and in some ways it's so obvious. But in 1 Peter, so we are to give this answer, and yet Peter gives a qualifier on it, doesn't he? He gives a disclaimer. He says, Yet when you give this, when you make this defense and you find yourself in hostile territory, just do it, make the defense, but do it with gentleness and respect so that you have a good conscience. And Colossians would say something very, very similar. Nuances that are a tad different, but Colossians says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders and make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious. So there's something really important about our manner in which we're making our defense or we're answering. Something critically important. Humanly speaking, it may make or break how an individual receives the message. When we respond with gentleness, the opposite is harshness. When, when we're intensely impatient with someone because they, ah, they just don't get it and they see that we are intensely impatient with them, Peter says, yeah, that's not the way. When you make your defense, do it with all gentleness. 
Do it with respect. Don't talk down to someone. Don't don't see this as just an argument to be won. See it as a person to love. Do this so that in the end you have a good conscience. At the end, so you can walk away saying, I'm not perfect, but I did my best to represent Jesus Christ well. Paul says, walk in wisdom. Because so much of life tempts us to be foolish. That's why we need the words of Proverbs so often poured into our lives because we're so tempted to be foolish. He says, make the best use of the time, don't waste it. He says, let your speech always be gracious. The opposite of that is basically just to open your Twitter feed or just watch any, any social media, cable news, and you'll find exactly, exactly how not to do what Jesus has told us to do. Always be gracious. Don't go for the cheap rhetorical points that just knock down someone else. Because I, 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 like, I don't know that smug is the best way to witness. I don't know that anybody's ever been embarrassed into believing in Jesus Christ. It's not the way it works. So Jesus has called on us to be like him, to love like he loves, to be direct like he is direct, to be truthful just like he's truthful, to love our neighbor just like he loves his neighbor. Jesus is going to use people. And he's going to use, I I believe this, he's going to use people that have passports and plane tickets and are ready to go all over the world. And he's going to use extroverted evangelists who've never met a stranger and are incredible at sharing their faith, incredible at it. He's going to use those people. But I I truly believe, I want you to see this morning, that he's not just going to use those people to advance the gospel. As Nathan reminded us even in his prayer a moment ago, we're all going to have all these relationships and he's, he's strategically placed you in those relationships and he's going to use you in those moments with a, a comment, an answer, a defense, a reply. Today, I want us to close this time out with praying. Praying in a few ways. So one prayer I would ask us to pray is that God would open a door for us, maybe even this week or, or next week. God would open a door soon for us. He might already have done that. As a matter of fact, you may even could look at your calendar right now and you have an appointment where it's already on the calendar. God in his wisdom and his goodness has already arranged an encounter for you. God has opened that door. So let's let's pray about it. If if none come to mind, let's pray. God, do that. Because I, I, I hear your word that we ought to be ready and... And Paul even prays the Lord open doors for us. So I want to pray for that. And the second prayer request is not just that God would open a door, but they would be ready and willing to speak for Jesus. We can't prepare. We can't anticipate every scenario. But we can, we can pray a prayer that I think, I think God would love to answer that prayer. That we would be ready and prepared to speak for Jesus Christ. So in a few moments, I want us to pray that. Lord, help us be ready. And then the other prayer that I would like for us to pray is that God would use words we say to make his name great. 
that God would use words we say. The fact is, we pray this because I know I can't change a heart. So what I've not talked about today is like, boy, we just need a ton of clever words, persuasive words, replies that just are like money. It'll be enough. It'll do it. Like if we just, if we just get it all right, that's actually, it's a miracle when someone comes to faith in Christ, a miracle that only God can do. But what we can pray is, Lord, help use my words in ways that make your name great. I can't change a heart, but I can be used by you in ways where people say that it's an awesome God and an amazing Savior, Jesus Christ. So why don't we do that? Why don't we pray? Take a moment just in the quietness of your seat and to close our time out this morning, I'm going to ask uh, in just a moment Chris Morris to come and lead us in prayer. Father, we praise you this morning. God, as we look at your word, as we understand more about you, we recognize that you don't do anything haphazardly, that you do everything on purpose. And in believing that, God, that means we believe you have us in the family you have us in on purpose. You have us in the neighborhood we're in on purpose, the job, the classes. God, you have people in our life that you've called us to be a light to. And so, God, as we may anticipate the next step or the raise or the moving to a new neighborhood or whatever it may be, as we anticipate an adjustment in life, you have us here today for a reason. God, give us the courage to begin those conversations. Give us the wisdom that, God, we have a desire to be in your word, to know you better, to be able to respond. Give us a reliance on the Holy Spirit in those moments where we don't know what we're going to say. God, you are with us, and you haven't left us, and you say, this is what I'm calling you to do. So, Father, allow us to rely on you. God, allow our eyes this afternoon to be opened as we look around us, as we sort of review life in the, the normal rhythms that we're in, that we can see the places you have for us. You see those that perhaps we've walked past that, that tomorrow we need to stop and talk to. God, we praise you that in the midst of our imperfection, in the midst of a a fallen world, you desire to use us to bring glory to your name. God, thank you for that privilege to tell others about you. God, I pray that we can have the boldness and the courage to do that this week. God, allow us to pray these things this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.